Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We are so glad that you are here. All of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. And I say this a lot, but just know wherever you are, whether you're home or whether you're here, you are loved, you are needed, you are wanted. We want to be a blessing to you. We need you to be a blessing to us. That's part of what it means to be church. So ironically, uh, when I plan out series months in advance, like the one we're starting in, we started in last week, the series called Together, it was to coincide with the time of year that we normally ramp back up with our life groups and our classes were going to kick off again. And at the time when I started to plan them, just like after the storm, when I thought the storm was going to be after instead of in the midst of a new storm that came along. That was something I planned before this Delta variant. I even knew what it was, and it started to rise. And so out of an abundance of caution right now, we've not pressed stop, but we've pressed pause, and we're waiting just a little bit to kick off some of those things that happen in homes where people are close together. But the principles behind this conversation, this desperate need to be together and to share life goes with us even more during a time when it's really difficult to be together. And so we continue in this conversation, but there's some nuance to that as we go. If you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. You can follow along on the screen behind me. I'm going to start in verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So I confessed last week that I love the Olympics when they roll around, but I haven't watched them as as much. I did not watch them as much uh, when they just happened a few weeks ago. But I still was drawn in by a lot of stories about different athletes, and I was drawn in by some of the highlights of what would happen in those. And one of the things that stood out to me about the games, and it repeated to come up in interviews with the athletes, was how challenging it was this time to go through the games while the stands were almost completely empty. Athletes are used to having fans in the stands, people there that are cheering them on, and athletes are often expecting to have friends and especially some family members who are going to fly across the world and be a part of this really big event that only happens once every four years. But this year at the Tokyo Olympics, fans weren't allowed. Family members weren't allowed to travel with the athletes for the most part. And so friends that would have come, they had to stay home and watch on TV. And family that would have been there, they were distanced as well. And that was difficult on friends and family. It was also difficult 
on the athletes. But one of the interesting things, and I thought was a really cool thing that came of this, is occasionally you would see in the production or in the highlights that the TV channels knew the friends and family couldn't be there, so they took cameras to where they were to watch them as they watched their loved one, their athlete, compete in the games. And there's one of the the athletes I want to tell you about for just a minute, and then we're going to watch a video. I want to tell you about Lydia Jacoby. Now, if you look at her, the first time I looked at her, my first thought was not Olympic athlete. It's just typical teenager. She is a 17-year-old swimmer competing in the Olympics, and she is from Alaska. And when you think of great U.S. swimmers, do any of you think of Alaska? No, and there's a good reason. I think all the water is frozen. I've not been there. I can't confirm that. It's got to be cold when you swim in that. Here's what I do know about Lydia. She comes from a small town of around 2,000 people. The Olympic-sized swimming pool is 50 meters long. The longest pool in her town was 25 meters. That's what she trained in, a pool that was half the length of a regular Olympic-sized swimming pool. In fact, in Alaska, there's only one full-sized Olympic swimming pool, and it's about two hours from where she lives. But she made it. A 17-year-old still in high school, who trains in a pool half the length of an Olympic-sized pool from Alaska, dodging icebergs as she swam. And she made it to the Olympics. And not only did she make it to the Olympics, but then she made it to the finals in the 100-meter breaststroke. Now, she was not expected to medal, much less win. It was just an honor to make it. But let's watch the last little bit of her competition. We're going to see her and the fans and family from home. King is behind. Stubacher is above her in lane four with a slight lead. And then you've got Jacoby. Jacoby out there in lane three. Challenging Stubacher. We've got 10 meters left. Lydia Jacoby, the 17 year old from Alaska, is putting on the search of her career. Thank you. Okay, there's a lot of things I love about that. It was an impressive race, though I don't know much about swimming, so it's likely far more impressive than I know. I love that her competitors came and genuinely congratulated her, including uh, fellow country person uh, Lily King, who came second and gave her a hug and eventually held up her hand in victory. Lily King was the gold medal winner from the 2016 games. So when she won, she unseated King, and yet King is there to celebrate that victory. But 
Boy, there's nothing like watching those people on the video, getting to see that split screen. The, the family's in one location, and then all of these people from her hometown, halfway across the world, just screaming their support and encouragement. And here's what I'm reminded when I saw, there were so many of those videos that I could have showed you this morning. But what I can't help but think is how desperately we could all use a cheering section like that every now and then in our life. We need that kind of support network. We need people who are encouraging us and pushing us to keep going and keep swimming and press on, whether they can be there with us in person or whether it's someone that we're separated from right now. And it's from a distance, but we still know they're in our corner and they have our back. And we've talked about this a lot, but there are a lot of people who are struggling with loneliness right now who are struggling with a sense of isolation, who are struggling with the increased separation that has come, especially over the last 18, 19 months at the beginning of the pandemic. All we, although we know that that's nothing new, it didn't take a pandemic for people to feel alone. It didn't take a pandemic for people to feel isolated. It's just been exacerbated at this time, right? It's only increased. So in many ways, life feels like these just completed Tokyo games. We're, we're still competing in the contest of life, but so many of the stands and the cheers that we would rely on have been empty. They've been sparse. Friends and family that we often lean on we still have those connections, but a lot of people have been separated. There has been greater distance and, and longer time between interaction. So I got an anonymous letter at the office a couple of weeks ago where someone shared these exact feelings, feeling very alone, feeling like they've lost their connection right now, wishing that there was someone or some people that would check on them. And they said the pandemic has been hard, but they admitted this, this has been around before the pandemic ever started. And sometimes I get notes or texts or emails where someone shares something like that, and I wouldn't necessarily get up and share that to the whole church. But the very last thing they wrote, most of it was typed, but they wrote in their own hand, preach on this. Like I said, it was anonymous, so my, my heart sank because I knew I could just give that person a call. I can't reach out. I can't talk on the phone or set up a coffee. But here's what I can do. I can remind you of what you already know. This is a really difficult time. And I can remind you of a teaching that we know well, the golden 
rule. If there's something you would like someone to do for you, do that for them. If there's a way that you wish, I just wish someone would reach out to me, then my encouragement to you, to those at home, even to the person that wrote this, is don't wait, don't sit back, be proactive. You be the person that you hope someone else will be to you. You be the voice of love. You be the word of encouragement. You be the place and the person of support in their life. Reach out, give a call, send a text, send a letter. Don't sit back. Now, more than ever, people are hungry for this. They are hurting for this. And it's hard to sometimes share that struggle. So I started with a passage from Hebrews 10, and I'll look at it more specifically in a minute, but I want to set the context of what's going on in the book of Hebrews, in case you've not read it or it's been a while. The entire book is written to a group of Christians, a church of people who are struggling. They're not sure if they're going to hang in. They're not sure if they're going to hold on. They're not sure if they're going to keep going. They are thinking about throwing in the towel. They are thinking about turning back to who they were and their way of life before they ever came to know Jesus. They're not sure if it's worth the struggle. They're not sure if it's worth the pain. They're not sure if it's worth the challenge that they're going through right now. And so the whole letter is written as a word of encouragement. Encouragement to get them to keep going in the race. Keep swimming until you touch the wall. Keep putting one step in front of the other. And part of the encouragement comes in the form of reminding them that Jesus is what Scripture has always aimed at. Jesus is the answer to the questions that all of Scripture is asking. And so it starts out as impressive as the angels are. Jesus is greater than the angels. As impressive as the priests are, Jesus is the great high priest. As impressive as some other leaders who've come before, like Moses, Jesus is greater than Moses. But it's not just an argument about the greatness of Jesus. It is also this encouragement that they're not alone. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Don't turn back. You're not the only people who've gone through this. And so you may remember all of chapter 11 of Hebrews, this great chapter on faith, the hall of faith, as people sometimes call it, is this reminder of these great men and women in the past who by faith persevered, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Rahab, by faith, by faith, by faith, all of these people kept going, kept striving. And then in chapter 12, there's this reminder that all of these people who've come before us make up, as Hebrews 12 calls it, this great cloud of witnesses. 
The celestial stands are filled with people of the past who are cheering us on, who know what it's like to go through the difficult times, the lean years. And they've showed us what it looks like to persevere in faith. And at the end of the race is Jesus himself. He's laid out the course and he showed us the way and he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so the Hebrew writer urges us, fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll show you how to finish this race. But here's what the Hebrew writer also knows. As important as it is to know about people in the past who've run the race and who cheer us on from those celestial sands, we also need flesh and blood people who walk with us, who run with us, who struggle with us, and strive with us, who go beside us during the difficult times and stick with us during those challenging times. Not just when it's good, but when things are tough. We need people in our corner encouraging us on, and we need to be in the corner of others as well, urging them on. So let's look at the verses we started with. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose sight of the hope. God is going to see this thing through, but it doesn't have to be a solo journey. It was never designed to be a solo journey. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. Verse 25 where the New Living Translation says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Some of you may remember, this, this is a verse in the King James Version that, that some of us grew up hearing, some of you grew up hearing quite a bit, because this is the verse, if you did not know, that J.J. quotes about every other Sunday morning. Don't forsake the assembling is how the King James verse says it. Or I think even the older versions of the King James says, do not forsake the assembly. And some of us grew up hearing that verse used in that way, and the assembly was always in quotes, even though they didn't put the air quotes, because it was meant as the official times when the church get together, and if you miss the assembly, then if you're a three-year-old and it was your birthday, you're going to get called out, as J.J. does. Now, those of us here, we, we laugh. We get the irony. We, we find it amusing. And even people who didn't grow, oh, that's where that comes from. You still, it's kind of funny. But some of us, it's sort of a nervous laughter because that was 
was used as a weapon. You better be there every time the building is open. And they mean every time. Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And if you don't, your salvation hangs in the balance. Now, I would suggest to you that's not only not a great translation of the verse, but it's an even worse application of the verse. Church was never meant to be a burden. And getting together was never meant to be something we bludgeon one another with anytime we miss. Being the church is a get-to more than it is a have to. It was always designed to be a blessing, something that builds us up, something that strengthens us when we are weighed down by life and struggling, making it through the week. It's something that charges our faith again. And it's a place where we get together, instead of beating each other up, we're building each other up, encouraging one another. It is a place where we go and we know, I've got all of these folks in my corner who have my back, and I've got their back. And I'm going to build them up every chance I get. And together, we're going to urge one another to live into this great life that God called us to and claimed us for. Together, we lift one another up to be deeper in love and compassion to the world around us. And so that's where verse 25 ends. We find ways to encourage one another. And that's what the Hebrew writer says earlier in 3.13. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And I love that verse because guess what? Every day when you're in that day is called today. Yesterday, when it was yesterday, was today. And tomorrow, when it is tomorrow, will be today. In other words, every day is a good day to encourage each other. Every day provides a good excuse to bless people around you and to build them up and to strengthen them when they struggle and, and to cheer them on and let them know they are not alone. They don't walk alone. They don't struggle alone. We're in this together. And here's the thing. Now, more than ever, we realize we don't just need fair-weather fans in our lives. We don't just need bandwagon fans in our lives, the kind that show up to cheer on the big moments as we move toward victory. We need friends who are there in the ups and downs, in the highs, in the lows, in the victories, and in the defeats. So I read an interesting interview by Lily King, who I alluded to earlier. Let's show the picture. She was the other American who was in the 100-meter breaststroke. And she had held the gold from 2016, got the bronze in this meet. 
And she talked about how important it was to her to celebrate with Lydia Jacoby as she won. But she also talked about how difficult it is to compete in the Olympics as an American as we have become used to so many people winning gold. She said one of the challenges is we've lost how to celebrate when someone gets a silver or a bronze or just even makes it to the games. What an accomplishment just to make it there. But we can become so obsessed with a winner that we lose sight of the ways that we support people in their own small victories, regardless of whether they're ever the best, just because they've given their best. And even the times when they've fallen far short of their best. It's easy to be a bandwagon fan and only cheer on the winners. We don't need more fans in our lives. What people are craving are genuine friends. The kinds that walk with you and encourage you no matter what. So I want to close this morning by telling you the story of a victorious person that has nothing to do with the Olympics. His name is Chase Friedman. It's on January 1st of this year, 2021. He's from San Diego, but he was visiting a friend in Philadelphia. He was at the friend's apartment, and a freak accident happened when he was in the friend's bathroom. Somehow, he doesn't even remember how. He slipped and he fell. And he severely injured his spine to where he woke up in a hospital room and doctors weren't sure if he would ever walk again. Not just walk as he walked before, just walk at all. They gave him about a 50-50 chance. And so Chase had surgery and he began the long rehab process just trying to learn how to walk again, and he also gave himself a few goals. And one of his goals, being stuck in Philadelphia doing his rehab, was that before he went back to San Diego, he wanted to climb the steps at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, made famous by the movie Rocky and Rocky II. Now, this is a really old reference, and some of you are like, I remember that. Some of you are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. But there was a scene of a boxer named Rocky, and at the end, as he's training, he runs up these steps, and it's an iconic scene, and a, and a really cheesy, smaltzy song is playing in the background as he, as he makes his way to the top. And Chase is like, that's my goal. Before I fly home, I'm climbing to the top of these steps. And so he started to chronicle his rehab online on Instagram. And he he put out an Instagram invite to anyone who wanted to come on the day when he was finally going to attempt with his therapist to make it up those steps. And he had family fly in from San Diego and friends fly in. But he also had a whole host of people show up who didn't know him 
but wanted to cheer him on. Let's, let's watch this video. Isn't that a beautiful image of support? We need people in our life, and church can be that kind of people who don't just root for others when they're the best. We need the kind of people that root for us after we have fallen, after life has beaten us down, and we're not sure if we're going to be able to get back up and walk again. And I love that there were friends and family that flew across the country to be there and support him. I love that there were all of these others who showed up just to cheer on this little victory, which was not little for him, but it was huge. And the church can be that kind of community. Rather than being the kind of people that point out all the ways that others have fallen, what if we develop the reputation of cheering people on when they get up, when they rise, when they climb, when they give their best for the little victories in life? Now, I mentioned originally this sermon and this little series was going to go, was going to coincide with the relaunch of life groups. And I recognize now more than ever, it is difficult to fully live out the vision of what it means to be together in one another's life because it's not so easy for everyone to get together. But the call is still there. The opportunity is still there. The blessing and benefit is still there. It takes a little more work, a little more time, a little different kind of effort. But we can still be there, not just as fans, but as friends, encouraging one another, cheering one another on, living out the golden rule in the same ways that we hope others will be an encouragement to us. We're an encouragement to them. Every day, as long as it is called today, every day is always a good opportunity to lift someone up.